And it is a pleasure to speak to you this evening as we continue uh, our series on Songs of Summer. Um, each week in our 11 a.m. service and in our 6 p.m. service, we've been looking through different songs uh, of the Bible. Um, we've had so far the song of Deborah, uh, the song uh, of Samuel. Uh, we've had Mary's song or the Magnificat, um, which is not a song about her giant pet cat. But um, as Roz so beautifully put last, last week, is a song of hope. It is a song uh, of joy and of freedom. And um, as I was looking through um, what other people were preaching on, so I wasn't doing the same thing, um, there, there were no psalms at the time that I was, when I was kind of deciding what to preach on. And I thought, um, as the worship leader of this church, I should take us back to the greatest hits of the Bible. And, um, and it's got 150 songs in that book alone, so I thought I'd just pick one. Um, so let's turn in our Bibles, or at the end of your pew, um, there should be a sheet of paper with a reading on. But it is Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And it says... Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Let me read that again. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on all those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commands. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Shall we pray? Father, we come before you now and we just say, would you have your way in this place? Lord, it is all about you. All the songs, uh, the words from my mouth, the, the thoughts, it's all about you. It is all for you and for your glory. And Lord, we just pray 
that tonight we would hear your voice in this stillness. We would see you move in power and we would encounter the, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we would be blessed by you. Father, just come now. Meet with us. We love you and we need you. And everybody said, amen. Come on, everybody said, amen, amen. Anybody been to any weddings so far this year? Quick show of hands. Few, few. It is, it is wedding season is fully upon us. Uh, summer is here. Um, the invitations are flooding in, and uh, I was at a wedding last week, uh, and I'm at a wedding next week, and the wedding that I'm at next week happens to be the brother of the groom from last week's wedding, so it's a very busy one in that household. Um, but I've, I've done quite a few weddings myself this year, it's working for the church, it becomes part and parcel of the job, um, you see a breadth of styles, um, some of all which are amazing, some of all which are amazing in their own right. Um, but yeah, I've done a lot, and I've also been fortunate enough um, to have my own wedding this year. Um, but, but with a wedding, of course, comes the invitation. Um, the, 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 the RSVPs, um, all of the kind of getting excited for, for the day. Uh, and when, when Jen and I did our invitations, um, we actually uh, we had three invites for our wedding. Um, not because we were that big of divas, but we just, you know, we had specific invites for specific parts of the day. So we had uh, the wedding ceremony only people. We had uh, people who were at the ceremony and then they came back in the evening and then we had those who were there for the whole day. Um, so it meant two things. It meant, number one, we knew exactly who was at what part of the day and we knew, number two, that we were poor by the end of it because we had to do three lots of text for three different invites, lots of printing, um, but we knew who exactly was going to be where at what point of the day. And uh, on the invite, you ask people to RSVP by a certain date. Um, and sometimes, in, in our case, we asked for um, dietary requirements or if you needed a seat that, for the bus that was going to take you from the church here to our reception venue in Shoreditch. So not only was it just a yes, we'd love to come, but we needed some info. And when people RSVP'd, it was really amazing to see all the emails flood in. Um, Josh Moxon was our, the Moxons were our first RSVPers. Um, Josh, our children's and youth minister, so he's, he's, he holds that crown. Um, but so it was amazing to see all the replies, all the, the, the excitement. Um, great to see family, um, new and old, and then it was also great to see who we would defriend because they couldn't make it. Um, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, however, there were some responses that weren't helpful at all. Um, just people emailing me like, we're excited for your day, like, nothing, like that was it, like, we're just excited. Um, so you can like, yeah, they're, they're coming, that's fine. But that was it, no, like, I'm allergic to nuts, or like I'm gluten-free. Like, yes, I would love a seat on the bus. Just an email of excitement, um, which was, was very heartwarming, but at the same time very frustrating. Um, and it's like when you send a message on WhatsApp, and you send it, and you know it's been received, and you know it's been read, because the ticks have gone from grey to blue, but they've not replied. I mean, is there a more appropriate response than to tear your robes in that moment? Um, it is, it's, I mean, we all do it, and let's not, let's not kill ourselves, but it's one of the most frustrating things um, that we experience today. Um, so responding to something and responding to it appropriately um, 
is, is, is important. Sometimes responding appropriately is as important as just responding full stop. As, you know, if I said, um, straw poll, hands up if you've had coffee today. Um, a few, a few hands, okay. You guys have responded and you have responded correctly. You, hands up. Um, well done. Those of you who responded maybe with a nod or a spiritual cow, mm, mm, then half right. You've responded, but you've not responded necessarily in the right way. Um, and for those of you who didn't respond, um, we, we need to check our friendship because um, I drink a lot of coffee, so that's in doubt. But um, as I said, you see how we respond and what we respond to in life is important. And that is the focus of my talk this evening. If you're making notes, um, jot down this question. What's your response? What's your response? Psalm 103, which I've just read, is a psalm of David. Why? How do we know that? It says so in the Bible, um, just underneath the number. Um, And the scholars believe that this psalm is written later on in David's life. So he will have undoubtedly been king by this point. Um, So therefore, we know that he's been the shepherd boy. Um, He's killed Goliath. He's uh, evaded Saul. um, He's committed adultery and murder. And he, he gets to this point in his life where he goes, I'm going to write this song, this psalm. Um, and this is how he starts it. The famous line, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It sounds like a song, I know. This is very much the, uh, the chorus of the song, the chorus is, is the, the tag, it's the refrain that's, that you remember, the, the hook that stays with you, the bit that's easily sung. And it's also how David ends his psalm as well, uh, verses 20 to 22. Have a look with me. It says, bless the Lord, O you angels, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But when David starts this psalm, and he pens these memorable lines. Um, he doesn't start it as the big anthemic chorus that we might think he does. But actually, you know, he gets that bit later. But, but he starts with an intimate song. It's a song to himself. He starts, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What is it that David is doing in these opening lines? He's, he's preparing and stirring his soul to praise God. It's his own call to worship. He gets his priorities in order. He says, before he does anything else in the rest of his song, God is first. He's praising God first. Bearing in mind, David is in, he's in the latter stages of his life. He's done the exciting stuff. He's, he's king. He rules over a nation. He's seen men come and go. He's seen people give him praise and glory. But God in his wisdom, and in, uh, sorry, David in his wisdom and in his experience says, no, I know who the real king is. I know who the king of kings is. And he gets my praise. He is first. David doesn't write, bless me, O my soul, bless my holy name. But it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name. David continues, verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives our iniquity or our sin, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. And he carries on. 
here, David, he begins the second section of the song, and he begins to remind himself of all of the things that God has done in his life. As the scholars have said, it's in the latter stages. So what he's doing is he's looking back, he's reflecting on all of the things God has done. And when you're someone like David, and you've been through some of the things that he's been through, when you look back at your life, his only response is praise and worship. We've said already he's, he's committed adultery and he's murdered a man. And by the law in that time, he should have himself been put to death for that, but he wasn't. He was shown forgiveness. And he was being hunted by Saul, who was the king at the time. He was being chased out into the wilderness. He was on his own. He had only God for company, yet he was brought through that difficult season. All of these things, when David looks back over his life, it just prompts him to praise. It prompts him to worship his God. It's praise and honor. That's David's response. David knows he didn't manufacture anything, but it's because of God and through God that he was where he was. And as you can see, there's, there's quite a bit of repetition in the very beginning of this psalm. Bless the Lord, I'm not bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Um, and Charles Spurgeon, uh, the famous uh, preacher and theologian, he writes this. He says, he, meaning David, uses no vain repetitions, for the Holy Spirit guides his pen. And thus, he shows us that we need again and again to bestir ourselves when we are about to worship God. For it would be shameful to offer him anything less than our utmost, uh, utmost souls can render. These first verses are a tuning of the harp, a screwing of the loosened string, and that a note may not fail in the sacred harmony. In this section, David, he isn't just sort of mentally reminding himself, and he's not just verbally giving God his praise. But I wonder if you spotted it. He says, all that is within me, Bless his holy name. This, for David, is a whole body experience. This is a whole being experience. Something that he doesn't want to hold back on, but something he wants to give his very self to. And in the Bible at times, particularly in the, um, later on in the New Testament, but the word soul can be interchanged with heart or mind. Um, a lot of the times it's, it's the same word. Um, and just to make sure we get the point, David here... He puts soul, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He wants to include absolutely everything in his praise, in his worship, his mind, his heart, his thoughts, his efforts, his strengths, his beings. He doesn't want to hold back from God. David, he continues his song of praise and adoration by just simply starting to list characteristics of God. And how does he describe him? There in the passage, uh, verse 6, uh, someone who works righteousness and justice for the oppressed, someone who is merciful, is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, shows compassion. The list goes on and on and on. However, David isn't just describing some distant deity. Uh, he's describing his friend. He's describing someone that he truly knows through and through. And how is it that David can describe God in such a way, in such detail? It's because he simply has just spent time with him. He has simply spent time crying out to him, 
communing, conversing, that's the word I was getting in there, is conversing with God day in and day out. As a young Jewish lad, David, he will have known the Torah, which was the law, um, the the, the five uh, first books of the Bible. He knows all about Jewish history, which is evident in verse 7. He talks about the ways being made known to Moses. Um, But not only that, David has experienced all of these qualities he's listed firsthand. Um, He has been in the wilderness for, for many, many years as a boy. He was a shepherd, but he's then been called to be a shepherd of a nation. He was in the wilderness when he was uh, being chased by Saul. He was spiritually in the wilderness when he was being, um, and he, he's committing adultery. He's, he's questioning, he's going, what is going on? And, and Nathan um, comes and, and, and confronts him. You know, he's gone. He shifted his perspective from going, focus, um, forget not all his benefits. So this is who God is. He's going, I know what he's done, and this is who he is. I know what he's done. This is who God is. He knows he's righteous. David knows that God is gracious. In my mind, um, David at this point, as he's writing this song out, um, I imagine he gets up from his chair and he starts to pace starts to pace the room, and he's just going, he is declaring. He is there going, God is good, God is righteous, he is for me, and he is just thrashing it out as he goes. And he's declaring, this is who my God and friend is. You see, when you go through life and you're dependent on God like David was, this bond begins to form, this relationship builds. It starts to go from somebody that you know about to somebody Uh, someone you've learned about to somebody that you begin to love, someone that you begin to trust and to follow. It goes from head knowledge to heart knowledge, and then it becomes your life. David, he, he spent years, as we said, going into battle, declaring God was for him, God was with him, And when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant um, back into Jerusalem, the first thing he does is he's worshipping. He knows God is with him then. He knows that God is with him now. He knows that God is with him in the fight and then also in the fun as he dances before God uh, in, in praise. If you ask David, who is God to you? His response would be, he is my God, my saviour, but he is my friend. David then comes to this next section, which is sort of like the bridge of the song. The bridge is sometimes uh, a very small section towards the end of a song, just a very short phrase. Um, And again, in my head, I imagine this part as it's being played out, the music gets a bit softer. It kind of strips away ever so slightly as David announces this startling truth in verse 15. He says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. In the middle of this praise party, David, maybe he just, he, maybe he just catches himself in the mirror, and he's suddenly aware of who he is. He's suddenly aware of the fragility of life, its kind of momentness in time. David becomes aware, he says, I've got a beginning. He says, I've got an end. And one day, as he pens it so poetically, like the grass, I'll be no more. But at the same time, he knows that he worships a God who is the beginning and who is the end. The God who will be and forever will be there. The God who is with him 
always. You know, this, this startling truth, David knows it firsthand from going into battle, seeing his men die around him, but also taking lives as well. It's a startling truth. But in the middle of this little realization, he kicks back into praise. He says, man's days are like grass, for the wind passes over and it's gone. Verse 17, but, and it's a good but. If you're making notes, circle that one in your diary. Turn to your neighbor and say, that is a good but. That's a good but. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. David looks to himself and he says, who am I? I'm like the grass. I'm just temporary. But God, his love is from everlasting to everlasting. Do you know how long everlasting is to everlasting? It's a very long time. It's a very long time. Um, And basically what he's saying is this love, it's not going to run out. It's not going to go dry. It's always there. It's always for you. It's always, always there. God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. And he rounds up this section, David, by, by just going, God is on the throne. Amen? God is on the throne and his kingdom rules over all. David was a king himself, and he knows that his, his, his reign, his kingdom has limits. But he submits himself to the king of kings whose kingdom has no limits. Amen? And towards the end of the psalm, David, he shifts his perspective from this intimate moment that he's been sharing at the beginning to addressing others at the end. He says... Angels host, I'm paraphrasing here, angels host all his works, bless him and praise God with me. He does a big call to corporate praise. There's something powerful when we worship together corporately as a family, as a body. Um, When we see each other, it should spur us on. It should encourage us all, no matter how out of tune it is, no matter how loud it is, if it's a new song or it's an old song. Just seeing each other praise and worship God should encourage us all. It's the goal of our times of worship to point people to Jesus, to, to say this is who is in control. This is our God and our King. It's my job as the worship leader um, to, to stand up here and to lead us in songs just to describe how great God is, what he's done for us and what he will do. It's hands down the best job I think ever. It's not about us. It's not about the music. It's about God. That is what our corporate worship or even our private worship is about. Uh, one something I say to, to the team here is as soon as we get on this stage and we think it's about us, it's game over. It's all about God. Every note, every song, every moment of our life is about God. Uh, it was amazing to be at Focus recently. Focus is a sort of church holiday that we, get, uh, we join a whole bunch of other churches uh, within our network. Um, we go down to the gorgeous New Forest, and there were over 7,000 people from something crazy like 300-plus churches um, all gathered on a campsite praising God. Um, and when you're in the Big Top, um, which is effectively just a giant church um, in a field, um, when you're there and you see all the hands raised 
people singing out, people receiving prayer, seeing people healed, hearing stories of transformation. Like, you just cannot not get excited. Like, you just, everything within you just goes, this is it. I'm part of something that is so much bigger than myself. And for me, it just, it just stirs me to praise, stirs me to worship. And that is my prayer for us as a church, that as we sing, as we worship, as we do life together, that it would encourage us all to be on that wavelength, to be going, this is it. It's all about God. And we want to just give our all to him. So we've seen David's response. And I want to go back to that question that I posed at the beginning. What's your response? Psalm 103, it's, it's a psalm of praise. It's a song uh, of glory and of thanks. But it's, it's from the perspective of reflection, as David, as he writes it. And, and I wonder, as we look back at our lives, um, are we aware of God moving do we notice the moments in time when we've seen God move and we go, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe that was God. A few things have been too coincidental for it to just be chance. Um, I mean, I'm super encouraged that actually some of the words and the pictures that we, uh, that we had for in the prayer meeting before the service kind of just back this theme up. And I didn't even, I'd kind of briefly mentioned it, but a lot of people had these words even before I'd said anything. Some of it's just, it's just sometimes too coincidental. God is just moving. Sometimes you might look back at your life and you go, oh my goodness, that was an impossible situation, yet I've come out the other side and I couldn't do that on my own. And just think of, of Mary, for instance, the kind of, you know, Virgin Mary. That is an impossible situation. And um, Christine Kane, who is, uh, is an amazing speaker and runs a fantastic charity, she once said, um, if it was possible, Mary would have done it all by herself. Um, but actually, the fact that she couldn't do it is the fact that she needed God. It was the impossible. She needed God to do the impossible. And so, do we know those moments in our lives? Can we see and identify those moments? You know, when I look back over my life, uh, I, I just can't help but see where God has, has been. His, his thumbprint is everywhere. Uh, I was placed into an amazing, loving family um, I grew up in a fantastic church, um, moving from Bournemouth to London uh, seven years ago now was just, I, I couldn't have done it on my own. It was just something that God had his hand on the whole time. He placed me in a great space, great friends, in another great church, great support network. Um, and from that church, I went to HDB, to the academy. Again, I couldn't have done that on my own. Um, just, I, I think the before I'd done the academy, I'd led worship about four times. Um, and, the, and just to be given that opportunity is just unheard of. It was just so amazing. And then from HDB to here, uh, again, just the, the right doors opening up. God is just all over different aspects of my life. And those are just to name a few. So that's the question. Are we aware of God moving in our lives? What's our response to that? Maybe when was the last time you simply just stopped and thanked God? It's an interesting thought. When was the last time we stopped and just thanked God for areas that he's, he's moved, areas that he's been at work, for impossible situations he's made possible? Forget not all his benefits, church, as David writes. Forget not all his benefits. 
on the subject of praising God. At the beginning of the psalm, David, his, his first thing he does is, he, is his praise. He stirs his soul. And my question, again, what's your response when it comes to worship, when it comes to sung worship? What's our response? You know, David is the most famous worship leader of all time. Um, and he gives us the best example of how to approach our times of worship. He says, all with all that is within me, bless his holy name. Um, some of you will have heard me say this before, but I looked up the word all in the original text. Um, and do you know what it means? All. It means all. All that is within us. Is that something we want to give when we come to worship? Is that something we want to bring forward? Or is it something maybe we just hold back on? We don't quite give our all. Maybe we just wait till the third or fourth song or until we feel like it. You know, what is your response? Are we spectators or are we participators? You know, David, his response um, was definitely one that is all in. Um, and sometimes in the 21st century, especially in the, in the UK, we can, get, we can get afraid. We're like, what are, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? Like, I can't sing. I want to dance. Like, what do I do? Newsflash. Again, David has the example. And what does he say to his haters? And I will become even more undignified than this. As the worship leader of this church, I want to encourage all of us to do whatever you feel comfortable within worship. In this space, this is a safe place. This is a place we are family. Um, and to be honest, in worship, um, we're all worshiping the same person and our eyes are fixed on God. So it doesn't really matter what we do. Um, if you want to sing, sing. If you want to dance, dance. If you want to bring in a ram's horn, bring in a ram's horn and blow like no one has ever done in this, which I'm pretty sure no one has ever done in this building. Um, but I'm just saying, guys, be encouraged. Go for it. Fear will tell you that it's weird, but freedom will tell you it's worship. Okay? Fear will tell you that it's weird, but freedom will tell you that it's worship. However, don't mishear me. What I'm, what I'm not saying is that you have to be demonstrative. You've got to do something crazy or, or weird for it to be worship. No, you can stand there in silence. It's all about what's going on in the heart. But I just want to appeal to those who maybe, who maybe are demonstrative, those who, who sing out in tongues or those who want to dance. This is a safe space to do it because why we worship God. It's not about us. As I said, it's not about us. It's not about the songs. It's between us and God. It's our worship. So, are we, part are we spectators or are we participators? And finally, I just quickly want to look at verses 6 to 14. Not in depth, so don't worry. Um, but just as a brief. Um, these are verses, again, of David's reflections, his, his listings of God's characteristics. But they also appear to be prophetic in, in writing. Have a look with me. He says, verses 9 and 10, He will not always chide um, or scold, rebuke, um, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You see, in David's time, if you sinned, um, you had to take a sacrifice to the temple um, and you would receive forgiveness. There's very much this sort of this transaction that was going on. 
But, but David, like I said, he's speaking prophetically of one who was to come, who would be the sacrifice for all, that would make temple sacrifices obsolete, that would pay the price, that would pay the price of sin for us, that we could receive forgiveness. So what is your response last time? What's your response to God's grace? For most of us here, we're already Jesus followers. We've already received that grace. But we can still respond. Maybe when was the last time we were just blown away by that fact? That there is someone who loved you so much that they left the heights of heaven to come down and die for you, to take all of your sin, all of your wrong, to nail it up on that cross and say, it is finished. When was the last time you were just blown away by that fact? Does, this, does grace and that cost, that price that Jesus paid, does that stir you to worship? Does that stir you to praise? Or does it cause you to stop and think about verses 10, 11, and 12? You see, when, when we sin, the price is death. That's what we're, that's what we're owed. That's the penalty. But what is grace? Grace is receiving something we don't reserve. Uh, we don't reserve, we don't deserve. It's a pardon, it's forgiveness, it's life. Sin equals death and grace equals life. And that is the invitation that is extended to each and every one of us, no matter what stage we're at, no matter what we've done, no matter what we will do. Grace is available to each and every one of us. Love is available to each and every one of us today. God, when he looks at you after you've put your trust in Christ, when he looks at you, he doesn't see you and your sin. He sees Jesus. He sees the one who knew no sin and became sin, took our sin, and is spotless in resurrection, spotless in grace, in beauty, in forgiveness, in love. What an amazing image. What is your response to grace?